Aloha from Waikiki. I am currently recording on a makeshift standing desk attached to the top of a fridge in a microwave on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Now, there's an active volcano not very far away, and the world's loudest bin men outside as well. So if you hear some explosions, do not fret. It will just be the end of the world or the bins being collected. Now, before I forget, the Modern Wisdom YouTube channel is live. Very happy to say that we've nearly hit one million watch minutes within the space of the first month. It's absolutely crazy. The response to the Love Island podcast has been insane. Shout out to the British press for both promoting and misrepresenting what I said, but all exposure is good exposure as far as I'm concerned. The Love Island podcast is still not available on audio only, so if you want to check that out, you're going to have to head to the YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe, as it would make me very happy. Coming up soon, I have the long-awaited sequel to Jordan Wallace. Paul Warrior and Tim Briggs from Reebok CrossFit Tyneside, We Dominate Nutrition and Warrior Programming, plus the world's only happyologist, positive psychology expert, Susanna Hallinan, will be dropping in to talk about happiness and her new book. But first, on to this week's guest. Warren Cass is an author, public speaker, businessman, entrepreneur, and a specialist in influence and personal brand development. I've wanted to get him on the podcast for well over a year now. From before I even started, I knew that I wanted to get him on. I picked up his book, Influence, which will be linked in the show notes below, along with all of the partner companion stuff that he gives away for free on his website. I think to one degree or another, everybody requires influence in their lives They need to be able to control how their personal brand comes across and they need to be able to communicate effectively. Now, this isn't just about being a go-getter, chasing after the next big job or whatever it might be. This could just be being a better partner, being a better parent, being a better whatever. You need to be able to communicate effectively. You need to be able to control how your personal brand is projected out into the world. What is the sort of example that you are setting? What are the sort of things that other people professionally, personally say about you when you're not around? What is the kind of influence that you are having on your circles? Now, Warren takes us through a step-by-step personal brand and influence MOT. If you are someone who wants to improve their ability to communicate online or in person, their access to networks, their ability to influence others in a positive way, if you've always wanted to understand how neuro-linguistic programming works, even if you've always wanted to know what people's eyes looking in different directions during a conversation means, we go through it all. So get your pen and paper out, make sure that you're ready. Here we go. Warren Cass on Influence. Mr. Warren Cass, welcome to Modern Wisdom. Thank you for having me, Chris. Great to be here. How are you today? 
bloody marvellous, you know. I've had a, a really, really busy month. I've got a couple of days in the office, which just, you know, catching up time. So, yeah, really good, thank you. Fantastic. For a little bit of time to reset. Yeah, you need it every now and then, don't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's been a, it's been a difficulty in getting hold of you, but I think that's that's a test testament to uh, how much you're in demand at the moment, speaking about the topics that you do. Yeah, it's very flattering. Um, but, you know, obviously we're here to talk about influence today. And, and as somebody like yourself who who builds a personal brand, you know, the bigger the brand gets, the more in demand you get. And uh, it's all good. Yeah, it becomes a bit circular, doesn't it? So you've you've touched on the word of the day there. Can you can you define what influence means to you? Yeah, in very, very simple terms. It's a broad topic, but in very simple terms, for me, it's about affecting an outcome without having to force it. Without having to force it also means, of course, without having to manipulate. Yeah. You know, we we live in a world where we're bombarded every single day with so many messages. And uh, some of it is misinformation and some of it's manipulation. Uh, but coming back to my definition of influence, influence is really when uh, you can uh, you can forward an idea or agenda without having to force it with people coming along because they want to. They've been inspired to. That's that's how I like to define influence. I understand. So I, I picked up Influence the Book around about a year ago and was on a flight out to America, wanted to get something that I could read on the way out. And it immediately uh, stood out to me, exactly as you said, we increasingly now in the modern world, almost everybody to one degree or another is building a personal brand. You know, the advent of social media means that everyone treats their Instagram or Twitter account to varying degrees of professionality like a traditional advertising medium it's advertising for themselves whatever the goal is can change but i do think that the the hype to a degree about someone's own life gets proliferated by them and upon reading it there was a few bits which the event managers who work for my company will hate hearing uh, over the, over the airways as i won't shut up about it in the office sometimes but <laughs> serendipity is not a strategy for me, just sits, it completely chopped at the knees so many of the um, fortunate situations that you get into. And you can sometimes kid yourself have come about due to some uh, preparedness that you deep down know that you didn't do or some some connection which was done by pure chance. The serendipity is not a strategy can be um should be written on the wall at some points i think it it reminds me that we need to be prepared and that we we need to cover all of the the potential um avenues moving forward as we try to create a personal brand so can you can you tell us why you wrote the book yeah, I'll start by apologising to your colleagues, though, if you're, if you're, if you're quoting me all the time. Yeah, the Warren Cass rhetoric gets pushed hard in the Voodoo Events office, I'm afraid. And you know what? The uh, Serendipity has been really, really kind to me. It, uh, it has. I can't complain at all. But I've always had the best results when I've done things on purpose. <laughs> uh, on and with purpose, I might say. So, uh, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, why did I write the book? Well, well, first of all, I've been speaking on the subject for uh, well over a decade, and uh, I wrote the book initially because I had two publishers come to me say, "Would you write a book?" and uh, And I thought, oh, okay, I've always avoided this in the past because I've got a, I, I'm, you know, a big listener to podcasts. I subscribe to yours, uh, amongst others, and 
and knowledge, you know, is is a really important thing. I think every day is a school day, so it's important to continuously learn. Yeah. Um, but I do think about most business books is that they're typically written by academics who decide to uh, give too many examples where one or two would have done. Um, and I, I believe also <coughs> most business books can be summarised in you know, a, a few pages rather than necessarily needing to take everything on. And I was really trying to think hard about what am I going to add value to this topic in a book format, bearing in mind there are some classic books on this subject out there. And uh, I mean, for example, you know, uh, in our pre-chat, you were talking about Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, probably the oldest and biggest selling book on that topic. Yeah. But it was written in 19, in the 1930s. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you've got The Psychology of Persuasion by Cialdini, a brilliant book written in the 1980s. And he has done some work since that. But there was a gap, you know, and what's happened is we've had this explosion of population uh, of technology uh, since then. And it's fundamentally changed everything that we do. Um, it's changed the way we communicate. It's the changed way we access products and services. It's the changed way we consume. And so the, the world has changed and we you know, for me, it was a, it was the thing I've been evangelizing on stage about. And I thought, you know what, this is the angle I'm going to take. This is, this is the way I'm going to write the book. To so bring, bring those, I'm bring those things up to speed, so to speak. Um, absolutely. Well, take think... all of those proved to tried and tested concepts, but actually uh, make them relatable to a whole new generation. A- of applicable people. to the, the changed world as well. I think definitely when you, if you read David Allen's Getting Things Done, it's, it almost becomes laborious to convert. So he talks about like using filofaxes and pages and, you know, like in trays and out trays and stuff like that. And you think that I've actually got to do a fair bit of the work. This self-help book requires me to do quite a lot of self-help to get the book to work for me because it's so behind the times with what it would be. It would be an app now. It would be a it would be a, a integration like Evernote or something like that. It would be productivity tools and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you, you, you're very right. I think as the rate of change speeds up in the world, the body of knowledge around core concepts needs to keep up. 100%, or at least its application. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So can you talk about why influence is important? Does, does everybody have it? Uh, knowingly or unknowingly, uh, yeah, the vast majority of us have it um, and should be aware of it if we if we want things to happen in our lives. You know, that's uh, the, the simple fact of it. Um, I often start my talks with with uh, you know defining the fact that we're all influenced every single day from the moment we get up in the morning. Our partner's expression or the mood they're in can dictate our day. <laughs> yeah. the, the micro expression of somebody on your commute to work, whether it's a tube, train or car, um, can dictate your mood for the day. It's been absolutely proven that um, because we're such empathetic creatures, if we witness an act of kindness for the two hours that follow, we are more kind. You know, so we we are sponges and we absorb, and that's just the human interactions. When you start factoring marketing messaging and uh, media, um, you've got a, a whole different layer of influence there too. Mm. So the the bit I maintain is that um, that if you understand how you're received when you talk, when you communicate, if you understand how that comes across to others, 
you've got a better chance of uh, being more effective in that communication. If you understand how you you receive information and how other people uh, influence you, you've got a a better chance of, of having better responses to that influence. You know, so ultimately, if you're an ambitious person, you want to evolve your career, or, or even if you just want to improve your relationship with your wife, husband, children, colleagues, friends, understanding influence is uh, is in your best interest. So it's it's giving you some perspective of what you're receiving and what you're sending to a degree. Yeah, and you know, all communication really should start with an awareness of 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 how it's being said, what, what's being said, because we communicate on so many different levels, don't we? So uh, just in, just increasing your awareness will make you more effective straight away. Where do you tend to start with people if you were to do a um, an influence overhaul? If you were to take me in for an influence MOT, where would you uh, where would you start? Well, having, having seen your profile, Chris, you're not doing too bad, my friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. It really starts with finding out objectives. Uh, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dream to think that everybody wants the same thing. So, uh, you know, the very first thing I'd do is is try and understand their what and their why. You know, mm-hmm. what is it they want to do? What is it they want to be known for? And why is that important to them? Why is why is that uh, something that's going to inspire and motivate others? If that's if that's the uh, the way they're going to come about it. So that would be absolutely the first step is just to understand people's objectives. Without that, you can't put any any real strategy into place. If you, uh, don't, if you don't have a target to aim at, you'll always miss, right? That that's the that's the point. Uh, if you're if if you're coming at this from uh, with with an outcome in mind, but of course some people just want to be nicer and more effective in their communication. There might not be an objective. You yep. could be retired and want to communicate better. Mm. That's fine. Um, but if if the the premise you gave me was an overhaul, so coming in and maybe working with somebody, I'd be first looking to understand what it is they're uh, they're looking to do. And the reason, of course, for that is that. Uh, once you understand your marketplace, who you're looking to get out there, and um, you then need to identify your audience, where they play, the type of information they consume, uh, the type of people that are already influencing them. So who are the potential collaborators and uh, people that you might be able to take advantage of some of the principles I talk about in the book, like credibility by association. Yes. So there's there's a whole load of, load of things that you might want to do um, once you're clear on why you want to do it. So we've established people's why. We've started yep. to understand their objectives and what they want to do moving forward. I think that is a that is a massive stumbling block, especially one of the biggest routes to procrastination is perfectionism. It sounds it sounds quite strange and quite circular, but it, it genuinely is that waiting until you have everything in place or everything feels perfect is a, a really good excuse for procrastinating on getting st- getting started on a project. Um, and of course, that can have a negative impact on influence as well. And I'm talking from personal experience here. Um, my my reason for procrastination uh, is very very aligned with what you just said. It's uh, it's mainly because I like to do the job myself because I know I I'll do it the way I want it done. You'll get it done right. Yeah. If you want yeah. a job doing right, of course. But then if, what happens is work and life and everything else gets in the way, and you're suddenly overwhelmed with jobs, and you don't get round to it. And of course. Having somebody else do it eighty percent to the standard that you would have done it is better than not getting done at all. So 100%. there's, you know, there's a whole lot of things around that. But. Agreed. Yeah, you need to. <laughs> I think, I think, especially in business, doubling down on your strengths. I said this in uh, episode eight with Michael Cashew, who's the CEO of Brute Strength Training, and he said himself his route to 
becoming one of the biggest CrossFit programming operations in the world was by doubling down on his strengths and employing people who could fill in where he's uh, less capable or less passionate. And I think uh, I think being a jack of all trades is is really no use to anybody in in a business context. So you've got me in. We've we've had a look at at my objectives. We've got around the fact that I'm a perfectionist and that I just need to I need to get moving. Where do you go next? So from an influence strategy point of view, the first thing I would do is sit down and based on what you've told me, identify identify your audience. And uh, a lot of a lot of people forget this, but you know, I mean that that's um that's a, a bit more complex than uh, than we think because you know we're we're living in times where there are five different generations in the workplace, all with uh, this, ne- and that's never never been the case before. So we've got five different generations in the workplace, all with different unique experiences, and uh, so uh, identifying your your audience is important because we're we're. Uh, more multicultural than we've ever been before. We're generationally divided um, and we've never been before. And that, that affects all sorts of things like attitudes. I mean, let me give you some examples of why identifying your audience properly is important. Definitely. And I'm going to make one point at the end of it. But uh, but I'll, I, I'm sure, like me, you are tired of uh, the term millennial. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think everybody's sick to death of the term millennial. But But I do think it's important for older generations to understand what makes millennials tick? I think it's equally important for millennials to try and understand why we have we and I'm I'm not a millennial. Uh, why we have a different perspective too, and this this comes down to um, our our experiences. So a couple of couple of quick stats to throw out at you: um, the average age for marriage, mortgage, and kids in the 70s was 23 years old, and today that's more like 36 years old. Wow. Um, so there's a load of changes. So what what you're of... saying is that I've actually still got time and that my business partner can stop applying pressure to me. Of course, absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and some of those reasons, by the way, will be financial and, you know, and because uh, actually uh, we have more, ex- we're, we're, we're more experiential now. Um, so we have, uh, the world is our lobster, Rodney. You know, we can go anywhere. We can, we can do a, uh, anything we want to do. So we tend to uh, put off some of the uh, other bigger decisions because while we're young, we want to have those experiences. That's one. Um, student debt is another. You know, there's a load of reasons why those things happen. And um, so that's that's just marriage, mortgage and kids. Um, beyond that, uh, work. So in the US, only 7% of millennials work for Fortune 500 companies. Um, and that's mainly because uh, millennials who are of, of an age ready to work um, want to be inspired by what they do. So they either start their own businesses where they're connected to their why, or they go and work for smaller organizations where they're working directly with the entrepreneur behind the business so they can feel like they're making a difference. So that's that's important to a generation. Um, and then, you know, you look into things like uh, politics, and we we live in an age of great misinformation, yeah. where uh, where you know we're di- we're as as divided as we've ever been. Uh, when, and you know, there's a whole load of reasons for that, and we can go into that if you want to, or we can avoid it like the plague. Uh, uh, I'm I'm happy probably for us to open it. up whatever whatever Pandora's box we go into <laughs> today is absolutely fine, Warren. No problem. So you, you know, the the thing about um, misin- an age of misinformation is it makes actually all of us that little bit more sceptical. 
Um, so, you know, when we're told things, our first instincts now should be to not believe it until we've actually seen evidence or facts or something to support it. Um, you know, social media absolutely dominates uh, what we do. It's democratized, you know, conversations, really. And it's and it's made uh, every every opinion have its microphone, you know. Um, so we have to be careful of, of what we take in and believe. And consumerism has changed, you know, again, millennials. Uh, in fact, just coming to this point, you know, the, the term millennial is quite often accepted to anybody after 1980. So it's 38 years and younger at the time of recording this. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that's happened since 1980 is the world population has doubled. So we're now over 7 billion people on the planet, and that's doubled in the last 38 years which actually should scare the shit out of anybody. <laughs> I really, really should. But that means half the world population are, are in millenni- this. Millennials, are millennials, yeah. Or millennials, yeah. And so it's now the most uh, dominant consumer group online, you know, from a consumer uh, consumerism point of view. Uh, less brand loyal. You know, if, if a brand they were using every single day disappears tomorrow, that's fine. They'll move on to the next one, but it'd be largely based on things like social proof. So your reputation matters. Um, you know, that's why we we uh, we read the reviews on Google, on Amazon, on TripAdvisor, um, profile um, testimonials on LinkedIn, etc. You know, we're interested in this stuff because we want social proof. We want to make the best decision based on what our peers recommend. It's you know, it's it's the way it works. So we've got all of that going on. And then we've got um, diversity with multiculturalism. You know, even even faith is changing. You know, in the UK, we're becoming more and more atheist. In some European countries, it's almost totally atheist. Yeah. And e- even in the US now, I think I read somewhere earlier this year that um, you're, it's less than 50% now that class themselves as white Christian in the US, which is, you know, it was it, it was it was never that. Uh, it no. was always such a dominant demographic. Absolutely. So the big point I kind of want to make uh, with this little uh, talk around millennials and diversity is that um, if you're talking to multiple demographics, if you're marketing to multiple demographics, but only using one tone of voice with your communication, the harsh reality is you're not speaking to everyone. So if we want to be able to reach different audiences and talk to different demographics, we have to understand, personalize and, you know, and produce content and add value in in the way that's meaningful to the people you're trying to talk to. And so many big brands are still talking with one tone of voice. I find it utterly surprising. You know, we technology enables us to personalize. I've got one one um, uh, friend who I who shall re- remain nameless, but mm-hmm. um but he has a, a business operating from London and he works in a, a particular niche, but he identified within his database uh, recently that uh, the database had grown quite large and that there were something like 400 Johns for, for argument's sake on a name. Oh, wow. So he, he, he took a whiteboard and he wrote on, on, on video and he wrote, hi, John. And then he said, hi, John, just wanted to tell you about and then went on to speak uh, to that particular audience. Now, every single John who received that believed that was written just for them uh, <laughs> and tried to figure out uh, but they watched the video and maybe bought the product yeah uh, he then moved on to the next biggest name on his list which was you know whatever it was and yeah. then and, and produced something for them so he what he identified was you know by just re-recording that one video a number of times he still had quite a quite a big reach but a much bigger um 
uh, a much bigger conversion rate. The sense um, of affi- the sense of affinity was was uh, through the roof, right? Absolutely, it was personalized. So you need to gear the message to the market. I think so. So understand your audience is the is <coughs> you're asking the step. We're in this consultative stage. We've come in. We've found out your what and your why. Understand your audience or your audiences. It could be plural. It could be you know more than one niche you're looking to operate in. So mm-hmm. understanding that is the first thing and then absolutely understanding where they play so does that mean in terms of uh, media media consumption events they might attend uh, uh, avenues avenues of access absolutely yeah point points to to connect yep okay so, so that would that would be the that would be the next step. The next step after that, I would then be looking at all of the people who already have influence over that audience, and I'd be very simply making friends, maybe asking them to guest post on a blog, maybe interviewing them for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, reaching out to to uh, other influencers. First of all, it's flattering. They're going to get some profile. It's a win win there. Um, they're going to let their audience listen to or read your content. So you get the credibility by association thing that comes. And then what, what you're doing is you're slowly building your audience and building your influence uh, towards that audience. Because the, the key, the only real thing I think uh, nowadays um, is of long-term strategy when it comes to um, building influence is to actually genuinely try and add value to the audience you serve. Um, and that could be from great content, but you really genuinely have to try and add value to the audience you serve. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I was. I've got a uh, an upcoming live stream that I'm going to do on Instagram. Maybe tomorrow when I'm driving, I'm going down to Shropshire tomorrow, and um, it's talking about people who have a massive platform online and are choosing to use it for reasons which add absolutely zero value, as far as I can see. And the analogy that I'm going to draw is that in the same way as a strong person needs to protect the weak because it's a duty they have a particular skill or a particular um uh they have a particular attribute which is a travesty to not use when it's called upon if you have a platform and if you are looked up to and if you are held in a position of credibility which is increasingly being bestowed on people who probably don't deserve it and you're not using it to add value and to make people's lives better. As far as I'm concerned, it's a it's a bit of a catastrophe and it's a real wasted resource. And it shows just how little you do care for the audience that you've got. And that's not for me to say like I'm, you know, it, with my s- small following uh, bestowing words of wisdom or something like that. But I am I'm trying to do my best to speak forth something of value, something that the people that follow me and that follow my friends and, you know, introduce them to interesting people like yourself that will enrich their lives and, and, and help them make good lives better and bad lives less, less bad. Um, you know, th- that, that seems great, but yeah, the, the prospect of having a platform and not using it to me is sacrilege, I think. So I'm often asked what, um, how do I define a good speaker? And let's just assume uh, the given is that they know what they're talking about, uh, and you know, <laughs> which is probably not uh, <laughs> a very good given. Sometimes. Well, let, well, let's let's just for the for the point I'm going to make, um, yeah, yeah. make it given. So there, there are two things which, in my experience, uh, the best speakers I've ever met have, and the first thing is an ego. 
and I know that's going to sound negative, um, and it and it is to a certain extent. But if you're the type of person, um, I mean, Chris, you know, I've seen your, your Instagram account. You clearly care about what you're doing, um, but there's clearly an ego in there as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having an ego isn't a bad thing as long as our desire to add value and serve our audience is higher and bigger than our ego. It's a very so, interesting point. So the best speakers I know stand up, get a real thrill from standing up on stage. Absolutely, they do. But their desire to affect change in others is bigger than their ego. Mm. Now think of think of some world politicians right now. Mention no names. Yeah. Um, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if they had if they leveraged the platform that's come from you know, you know their notoriety and everything that they do because their desire to affect change in others and add value was bigger than their ego? What what a difference that would make! Wow, well, the, the the point that you've missed there is that you're presuming that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. Touche, my friend. <laughs> so, yes, we've talked about the uh, avenues of access to the audience that we've defined we've looked at our why um where are we going to next so the the next stage i would go to we've we've added value we're collaborating with other influencers so we're starting to really build our reach oh the uh sorry to to interject the credibility by association thing which you touched on earlier on i really enjoyed in the book i think um you're totally correct when you see someone who you follow how many times do you go out and listen to a joe rogan podcast matthew walker who wrote why we sleep i'd seen why we sleep advertised on amazon it'd been pinged to me off my kindle on my email but i listened to him on joe rogan for three hours obviously in and of himself he was very charming and added a lot of value but also the platform that joe rogan gave him allowed me to be exposed to him lended more credence more credibility to what he was saying and i i bought the book while i was listening to him so, so there's a whole there's a whole load of kind of cliches on we're known by the company we keep or we are the the kind of net product of the five people we hang around the most with you know there's all all of those ones which people know do they ring um, do they ring true for you uh they uh not if i'm going to be really strict um Yes, we are known by the company we keep, absolutely, positively and negatively. Um, but the whole five five people that we hang around the most with, I think, is nonsense. Uh, of course, you know, the uh, networks aren't restricted to five people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know lots and lots and lots of people, and in different contexts, uh, we'll hang around with different people. You know, if I'm if I'm uh, like the comedy course I, I went on to the other week, uh, you know, there's a, a WhatsApp group now of a, a whole load of budding comedians having fun. That's got nothing to do with my work. It's got very little to do with my home life or my friends, actually. Um, so we, we live in um, pockets of interests and uh, and we build communities within our pockets of interest. And hopefully, um, you know, we're multi-layered human beings with lots of interests. You try and um, take the best from everyone, right? Yeah. Do you know what? I mean, even a, lo- a lovely thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a mid-40s guy, right? So I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'm 46 this year. And, uh, you know, the speaking is one of the things I'm passionate about. This, this uh, last month, I managed to um, speak up for a client in Glasgow. And what was really lovely is that... Uh, uh, my my dirty little secret is for the last 14 years, I've been an Xbox uh, fanatic. I managed to <laughs> avoid it while I was building a technology business in the in, in the 90s. And uh, my wife and kids bought me an Xbox for my birthday, which was uh, a, a really fatal thing to do. <laughs> Call, Call of Duty being my game of choice. Okay. Um, of course, what happens is you start to... Um, <laughs> 
uh, make friends and build a clan and uh, and that that happened anyway i got up to glasgow for for this speaking event and uh, really brilliantly i managed to meet up with some of my clan and go out for a few beers and no have, have a bit of fun now some of these people i've known really well for over 12 years but have never met face to face afk as it's known away from keyboard absolutely yeah um so you know but as i say you know it's not it's it, it doesn't really matter how we connect with others it just matters that we do connect with others and, uh, I, think, and be- I think there's definitely um there's a lot to be said about we did it recently did a podcast on confidence and one of the things that i tried to take away from that was talking about being truthful and being vulnerable to a degree and i think that making a making a genuine connection or committing to making a genuine connection even if it's only mostly going to be one way the majority of social media is one is you speaking and then some responses there's more of you speaking than there are responses for most most people online but for you to add value personally i think that there has to be a level of vulnerability because presuming that you genuinely care about what it is that you're talking about you you have to be very honest and very open and very truthful with it. That doesn't mean that you have to be completely transparent, but it does mean that you have to um, allow people to see a, a very true true side of you. And I think that can probably be quite daunting for a lot of people who are concerned that their audience might not like what they hear. Well, it's also daunting because it's not the way we're being socially conditioned right now. If you think about it, um, social media is people's highlight showreel. It's not, it's not real life. Um, but actually, you think about the biggest connections you've ever had with somebody, it's where you've actually been vulnerable um, or, you know, utterly honest and human. Uh, that's that's where we connect. It's an incredibly um, endearing trait. Well, you know, even as a speaker, one of the biggest weapons I'll use on stage and uh, is self-deprecation. Uh, <laughs> I'm quite happy to take the mic out of myself. It really, it really doesn't... Um, doesn't bother me at all uh but it but it does relax an audience because suddenly they're not thinking that listening to some know-it-all on stage it's yeah. a, it's a human being just sharing sharing the story and that's uh, that's the way it should be very british but, characteristic but, as well com, coming back to the credibility by association though because you mentioned one of the stories in the book and, and and actually just so this this lands with your your um your audience there's a couple of quick stories i'll tell one from the book and one is one that isn't but uh, for me, it comes back to this term about uh, understanding the power that somebody who already has profile, either endorsing you or taking you under the wing or being seen with you, the power that can have. So the story I talk about in the book is um, a, a personal development speaker, author, uh, and actually to a certain extent mentor to me when I was uh, when I was younger as a guy called Jack Black. Not the and Jack, not the Jack Black, not not the Hollywood Jack Black. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Glaswegian Jack Black, who built a brand called Mindstore. Uh, so it's it's um, it, it's all about kind of personality and uh, sorry, uh, personal development. He was a social worker in the 80s, and he was fascinated by personal development himself. So he started developing his own content. And when he was ready to launch his own business, he saw the concept of credibility by association. He may not have called it that, but he he borrowed ten thousand pounds. And he put Sir John Harvey Jones on stage next to him in front of 2,000 Glaswegian business owners at a conference or an event he was running because he understood that Sir John Harvey Jones would be the draw. But then the moment he's on stage and he's on stage with him, he gets the credibility that comes with that. And overnight, he was the business guru that works with Sir John Harvey Jones. <laughs> and as a result, built a really good, powerful business. Yeah. Um, you may have heard the name Judy Nake, who um, – No. Who – who sold her business for 70, 75 million 
uh, it was the she didn't even develop the product, but she had the distribution rights to the Saint Tropez um, tanning, okay. Okay. tanning stuff. Heard of that? And yeah, so for her, uh, I mean, she's quite an inspirational businesswoman anyway, because of the way she dealt with people. But uh, she attributes uh, a lot of her success to having somebody like Victoria Beckham walking out of the store with a clear plastic bag and her product in the bag. And uh, when, when I heard her story, it was within the months that followed, she did about two million in sales just because of that one media appearance. Um, you know, so that, that whole credibility by association thing can be really, really powerful, but can be used. Uh, it doesn't, you know, we're talking about big things here, like a 75 million um, sale. How does that, how does that apply to a florist working in a town center how, or, you know, or somebody just want has an aspiration for a local business and doesn't necessarily want to take it any bigger. For for them, it's really about identifying the influencers locally. If you want more people to know you locally, try and find the people who have sway, who who make recommendations day in day out. Who are the networkers? Who are the people that you can build relationships with over a coffee just locally because they're approachable. Um, you know. These are these are simple principles or concepts, and they can be applied at whatever level or um, or whatever level of aspiration you have for your business. I understand. I think what we're obviously skirting around here to a degree is the um, the very overused term now of influencers, mostly used for social media. Um, you know, the the number of product endorsements that you get now is leveraging this exact credibility by association, isn't it? You look at for most of the the listeners, boohoo.com and ASOS and Topman and even Giacomo and people like that are trying to rebrand themselves by attaching themselves to people like Freddie Flintoff. And do you know what I mean? Like they're, they are this credibility by association has become a major industry in and of itself. It has. And, uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily new. I know influencer marketing is a, is a more recent term, but you know, I remember over a decade ago when uh, BlackBerry were uh, one of the dominant brands in, in mobile phones, and uh, they had a, a they called it their ambassador scheme, but it was just influencer marketing. They identified people who were prominent in loads of different niches. Uh, I, I was I was one of them in the small business sector because at the time I was running a, a, a large business network. Um, and, you know, it meant every month I got them the next new shiny phone to, as, you know, as long as I shared it, wrote about it, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, so I was one of the ambassadors amongst other people. Um, but, it, it, you know, that was that for me was when I started to really notice that, uh, you know, this was a, a principle that could be leveraged by anybody, really. So by trying to get some credibility by association here, how how can we access these people? Obviously, by virtue of them being in a a position of existing influence or potentially uh, either a different or a, a higher level of access to network than we have. What are the, what are the, the effective ways that someone can go about enticing somebody in, uh, in terms of contact or if they're meeting them face to face, what can they do to um, make them f- have more confidence in the, in the pitch, so to speak, to become associated yeah, so this is a good question. It's one I'm often asked uh, because, of course, nobody wants to go reach out to somebody who's got sway and influence and immediately be asking for something. That's uh, the sure, surest far way to uh, to turn them off and get them to ignore everything that you do. So, you know, most people uh, want to understand uh, what makes you tick, your values, your intentions before they're going to uh, invest any time into you. Um, so that's the first thing. 
um, I used to sell sponsorship. So, you know, with our with our our business network brand, we managed to attract really nice sponsorship figures from brands like Santander, uh, BlackBerry O2, uh, Microsoft, etc. And you don't attract those brands unless um, unless there's something in it for them. And so you always lead <laughs> with what's in it for them. And I think this is the this is the principle as well when you're approaching people within your network. It's seeking to add value first. Um, so, you know, for example, if I'd already started to build an audience and I and I wanted to uh, attract the attention of a of an influencer, I'd probably invite them to be interviewed. They're probably going to want to, at some level, share their message. Um, they're going to be flattered by the invitation. Uh, it's no different from you inviting me onto this podcast, Chris. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to to um, reach a different audience. You know, that that works. The the whole principle of credibility by association is at play here, by the way. You know, because uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it when I share the podcast with my audience because that broadens yours. Um, and you've already got a, an audience which might be a different demographic than I normally talk to. So, you know, we both win from it. It's, we're both getting the credibility by association from the conversation, as long as, of course, we're both not coming across as morons, <laughs> which I, no. I, I choose to believe we're not. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, approaching somebody, I would I would seek to add value first. I would I would av- avoid asking for anything. I would seek to add value. Um, I, I, I would avoid asking for anything that's not in their interests, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I that's a good starting point. So, um, and then of course, you know, once you've once you've started that, there's two two things I would add to this journey of influence uh, that we started on because we've got assume you know your what and why, understand who your audience is, identify the influences in the marketplace, add value and collaborate. Um, and I I would then say there's only really two more s- steps to this uh, from an influence strategy point of view. Of course, we can go into lots more detail on any of those things, mm-hmm. but as a as a broad strategy, one is then to continue to build your reach and preferably on your own pr- platform. So we rely so heavily on um, uh, the platforms that are readily available to us, like YouTube and Facebook and what have you. Uh, but you know, it's quite turbulent. They are changing, and because some of the um, uh, personal brands out there have become a little bit more com- uh, controversial, they're being deplatformed. So my, my, my Lou Yiannopoulos is now off off Twitter and uh, yeah, well, he's been off Twitter for some time, but, yeah. um, but, but actually, yeah, he was deplatformed not just from, from Twitter, but things like Breitbart too, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it, the, the crowd can have that impact. So it's important for you to own your own platform and, or to, to own your reach, own your relationship with your audience rather than rely on somebody else would be my advice. Interesting, uh, in, interesting interjection here. I don't know whether you follow much of what Tim Ferriss does. Yes, um, his he is he is number one um, advocate of email lists that he pushes everybody. He maximizes and he sings this the the exact same uh, hymn sheet that you are about the algorithm on Facebook can change and there's nothing that you can do about it. The reach on YouTube, so on and so forth. Everything is mediated by this third party, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's such a big advocate of getting maximizing email uh, subscription and email sign up because it is a direct um, vo- uh, line of communication from him to his audience. 
hundred percent. And actually, it's not just restricted to things like that. I read somewhere recently that Google's about to change their algorithms yet again. So it's not, you know, you can have done as much as you wanted to with SEO in the past, but it's not necessarily going to help you moving forward. Um, you know, it's going to be weighted in different ways. So it's a, you know, these, these are things that you constantly have to keep on top of. But owning your relationship with your audience is massively important. How else can someone ensure that they own the relationship with their audience or own their platform, as you put it? Um, so specifically, uh, to, to answer that question, I would I, I would be wherever possible taking them away from the places that you met them in the first place <laughs> and building that subscription. So Tim, what Tim does is he, he'll go and play on social media. Uh, he has lots of referral schemes in place. So he relies on his audience to help him build his audience too. Um, but he will he will give you something of value. But in in order to get that something of value, you're subscribing. So it could be a uh, uh, 10 top tips on how to whatever but yeah. you part you part with your email address and then he makes it very clear i'm going to send you something of value uh, on a regular basis if you if you don't want that thing of value then uh, you know adios no problem but uh, but if you do then know why you're doing this it's not me spamming i'm sending you something of value yeah so you know it's being really clear with intentions um and you know the point is that all of the hard work should have been done before that stage you know, the people that you're talking to should understand your values. They should understand the value you bring to them. And therefore, you know, when they subscribe, um, it's it, it's a consensual act. You know? They've got a feeling of certainty and safety that they're, that they're buying into something that they value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, and then the, the, then the last step I would take beyond, build, you know, continuing to build your reach and own your platform would be to, uh, you know, productize take advantage of what you've built productize then rinse and repeat you know all of those steps you can continuously go through them and you know you should be on a regular basis as the world changes around you revisiting your what and your why um and how your audience is changing and therefore you know where are they playing now what's the change in technology or social media that they've moved on to mm. um you know who are the new influencers who can you give a helping hand to who might be bringing a new audience with them um add value collaborate continue to build your reach, productize, rinse and repeat. I think what I like about that particular layout is that the productize comes at the end and the operating a freemium model or over-delivering on the front end, as it's known uh, in the online marketing world, is um, a commonly a commonly used approach now. And as you say, exactly, exactly right with Tim Ferriss, what you get, you get an awful lot of value for a very little um, investment, i.e. something that's free, you're giving your email across, but the content that you get is very, very highly valued and that the productizing or the um, turning that into a financial or business, in quotation marks, plan almost becomes, it emerges organically out of all of the steps that you've built upon, that you've got this level of credibility, that you have good access to market, that you understand the audience that you're speaking to yeah uh, and so whilst productizes the end in that simple model uh, actually the reality is you do all of those things all at the same time yeah um, <laughs> you know it's it's nice and easy to sort of spell it out in steps but of course if you've got a product and service to sell you're going to sell it to the audience that you've got at the time you start really um yeah. you, you know it, but you're right at what it, you know, the considerations up until the point of productizing and selling something is making sure that you've got something that's truly of value and it's a consensual act, you know, that your audience wants it. Um, 
but no, that's it's a very simple philosophy on on the whole thing. I mean, as I say, the world has changed. You know, influence has changed massively. Uh, what most people uh, perceive to be the change might just be societal, but actually, we've had changes in in how technologies impacted business. You know, it's a, a nice little stat that over 40% of the companies at the top of the Fortune 500 in the year 2000 were no longer there in the year 2010. Is that true? Uh, oh that's my true. God. And, and, you know, even on top of that, you've got brands that have come from nowhere, which, you know, we've all heard of and know of, like the Ubers and the Airbnbs, mm. who uh, have come from nowhere worth absolute fortunes, um, but don't necessarily own the product or service. They own the access to the product or service. So they, they have the influence over the audience. You know, Uber's the biggest fleet of cars in the world. They don't own a car. Yeah. Uh, Airbnb is the biggest portfolio property in the world. They don't own a property. I think I think Alibaba's the same, but for retail. Yeah, sure, sure, and you know, and Amazon the same for for retail as well. You know, it's it's the people who own the relationship with the customer, with the audience, and of course, they're their own platforms. They've built their own platform. They own their own platform. Yeah, and they own the relationship. So you know, that's absolutely um, telling. Um, and you know, there's the opposite is true. I mean, think, think of brands that, uh, that should have done it. I mean, yell.com or yellow pages, yell.com are actually doing some really quite good stuff now around small business marketing websites, SEO and all of that type of thing. They are doing some good things, but, but actually considering they started in 1956, um, a little bit ahead of everyone else. Well, in Brighton, um, they started the, with the Yellow Pages. They suddenly grew. They eventually grew onto four continents, and they dominated search. And the internet came along, and there was nobody saying, how's this internet thing going to affect our business? They should have been Google. But they weren't. Blockbuster, the same. Blockbuster, uh, very similar. Kodak, very similar. Kodak actually invented the digital camera, the thing that we all walk around with in our pockets and just call a phone, but it's a, an Oracle multi-purpose device. They invented the digital camera. Um, they even brought futurists into their business in the 80s and said, uh, what's the future of digital or what's the future of photography? And of course they said the future is digital. And they said, that's not what we, what we wanted to hear. I didn't, I didn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so that there was a load of people that are really close minded to the change that's happening all around them. But it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's not just technology that's changes. In fact, one of the examples I use on stage, I'll give you it now. There's a, a barometer for how long it takes a product or service to reach 50 million users. Okay, so for the telephone, it was 75 years. For the radio, it was 38 years. For the TV, it was 13 years. The iPod did it in four. The internet did it in three. Facebook did it in two. The iPhone did it in three months. Now, if you think about it, every single one of those is an innovation in communication. It's an innovation in the way that we communicate and influence. It's a different broadcast medium. And just to evidence, the three months it took the iPhone, it took Angry Birds 30 days. Oh. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, that's the kind of, uh, you know, the speed of change as wow. it happens. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's terrifying, isn't it? And I suppose that it almost becomes each of those um, levels of communication and <clears throat> how open global communication is now permits this to catalyze itself further it'll only mean that this gets further expedited and that these these um time frames are going to become even more shortened because you can find out about something so much more quickly than you ever could before 
or or not. You can find out the the falsehood. <laughs> you know, that's the the disinformation the, comes on yeah, the other absolutely. side. Absolutely, yeah. So, so I wanted to talk about um, personal brands and how people yeah. how people display themselves both both online and in person. I know you in the book you touch on um, ways to dress, colors, and how they elicit different uh, emotions in different sort of ties and and, and outfits. Neurolinguistic programming, body language. Um, let's start with how you can make a good impression face to face. I know a lot of people, when we talk about influence, may be thinking about what happens online, and that may be a, a high volume of the traffic that goes backwards and forwards. But certainly for me, when I meet um, when I meet with other business people and people of influence who are good face-to-face, they leave a very marked impression on me in a different way to someone who's good online does. It seems to be a much a much rarer skill set. It's, it's a much rarer skill set, but it's going to be the one which I believe will be utterly in demand in the next couple of decades. Why? Uh, the, the, the line I use on stage is, in an age of automation, artificial intelligence, and robotization, stay human. Uh, So, you know, the the, the point which I want people to understand is that, you know, we are becoming more disconnected from each other, uh, you know, counterintuitively, because we're more connected, you know, via technology, but we're actually more disconnected on a human level, because it's, as we said earlier on, it's highlight reels that are being shared, it's, it's uh, superficial stories, it's summaries, rather than in in depth conversations, you know, Mm -hmm. people are projecting them their best selves, rather than their, their vulnerable selves, if you know what I mean. So they're not doing the human thing. And so I I believe one of the core competencies, one of the core skills that you can you can go and develop no matter what industry you're in and what level you want to achieve within that industry. If you want to be more effective with all of your relationships, then you need to become a student of people. And that includes yourself. Understand who you are and then be authentic to that. But understand other people and adapt how you communicate with them to their preferences. So there's a number of tools for that, which we can un- unpack if you want to. Yes, please. But uh, but that's the um, that's I, th- I think it's going to be the most important skill, and and even on a, a big brand kind of corporate level, it's going to be about demonstrating values and telling stories because that's how we're going to be connecting with people more and more. Mm-hmm. So uh, to unpack the original bit where communication starts, I'll I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about what the communication model is how the process of communication so we have um a very 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 easily we have external stimuli that comes in it can be in a number of different formats and we'll receive that and process it through our kind of visual auditory kinesthetic uh even even through um you know things like taste you know we'll we'll interpret the world around us uh in a number of different ways but let's say mainly through our eyes ears and you know what we, what we sense and what we feel. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is we apply our normal filters. So our filters will generalize, distort, and delete. You know, they will they will map that information against our own values, our social conditioning, uh, the beliefs that we hold, um, and the the memories that we have. Um, you know, we are a product of our environment. It's that whole kind of conversation around nature and nurture. I think it's. In most cases, nurture will win every single time. Hmm. Um, so we are a product of our environment. But anyway, all of those things, um, they basically constitute our map of reality. This was once um, 
uh, highlighted to me uh, quite recently, actually, where somebody had come into a, a friend of mine who was who was coaching, and uh, she was coaching this particular client, and they said, um, "I want to be uh, a better communicator, a better speaker." And she said, "Okay, well, we need to work on your confidence." And she says, oh, no, I don't want to work on my confidence. <laughs> she said, so why do you want to work on your confidence? Because I don't want to come across as arrogant. So in her map of reality, the word confidence means arrogant. Yeah. Um, and the assumption that we always make is that everybody thinks the same way that we do or or uses language in the same way that we do or has interpreted the world around them in the same way that we have. And it's a kind of fatal mistake. So the communication model is it comes in external stimuli. We put it through our filters um, map it against you know our map of reality. This affects our physical state and therefore our physiology, and therefore it impacts the way we behave. That's the simple process of communication. Okay. Okay. The next thing is really around um, then how how we internally process information. So if you can understand somebody's preference to things like visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or even uh, you know those that are real logic thinkers, this is touching on some of the things that NLP will will teach. Um, you know, if you're if you're dealing with somebody who has a strong visual preference and you can identify that, you can use language like, uh, "Do you see what I mean?" or "Can you see the Can you see the big picture?" You know, you'd use visual language and you'd probably be a little bit more effective with them. If somebody's got an auditory preference for how they process information. It was, "Do you hear what I'm saying?" Um, if it's feelings, you know, um, you, you know. I, I get the feeling that, and you can use those language. You know, how does that feel to you, for example? So the key is how you identify people's representational. I was going to say, how do you yeah. how do you determine that? There's a number of tools, um, and that, and before I tell you, before I give you the answer to that, because it's um, you know, there, it, there's a there's another level of complexity. I, I don't know if you've ever done psychometrics, Chris. Uh, I haven't. You've done a disc profile, something like that. I've done uh, Big Five which is a pers- okay. personality assessment. Um, I'm not sure if that counts. You know, I, I encourage everybody to go off and, and uh, do these things because there's a there's a, always going to be a slight improvement in self-awareness that comes from it. What would you recommend? Um, so DISC is the is the, the one that's uh, best known, but, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, there's Belbin. They're all good for different contexts. Uh, DISC is the one that's really known and, and quite often used by other tools too. They adapt, they take the standard core of it when they apply different learnings, you know, the thing about these things is they'll put you into a, into a box for the sake of, um, uh, overview analytics, but actually we all have adaptive behaviors too. And, mm-hmm. and we all, you know, float in between different, for example, I'm a, I'm a high eye in disc, which is, uh, energetic, uh, big picture, enthusiastic, uh, outgoing, all of those things. But, um, but actually if I come across somebody who's uh, very dominant and, and task focused and strong willed and forceful, I'll adapt my behavior to, uh, to ultra dominate them. If you know what I mean? Cause I don't know. I don't like being dominated. Uh, so yes. my adaptive behavior will, will be to, uh, to, to match theirs. Um, but it will all, it will always be our, our adaptive behaviors are also, also always very true to our values. They, they're anchored to our values. Um, but again, it's a it's a thing to understand. So, for example, in the sales context, if if I was going into a sales meeting and I'm I meet somebody like me, we're going to have a a bit of a laugh. We're going to have banter. We're going to be telling stories. You know, it's talking big big picture. It's going to be enthusiastic and and positive. Um, if I go in and speak to somebody who's highly analytical uh, with a strong preference for detail, um, I immediately will adapt the way I'm communicating and I'll get to the point first. I'll do the numbers and, you know, otherwise if I'm doing my usual thing, they'll just be thinking, just get on with it. 
<laughs> what, what numbers? Give me the details. They're, they'll be distracted by that. So you have to adapt the way that you speak to others to, to match their communication preferences. Okay. So how are we how are we going to determine who these people are? So so I'm going to give you two two, um, two obvious methods. Um, well, one obvious method and one which isn't so obvious. There's something called eye accessing cues, which I find quite useful. I use it quite a lot in my uh, just day to day rapport with other people. And this is the. Uh, have you seen um, the TV series Lie to Me with Tim Roth? Yes. Yeah, so, of course, he uses a whole load of tools, which are uh, psychological tools, understanding thought processes, body language, etc. Eye access and tools is one of them. And basically, if you're speaking to somebody and they where, where their eyes go gives you a bit of an indication into their, their communication preference. So imagine you're looking at somebody and their eyes go top right-hand corner. Uh, so they're top left, top yep. right to you. That's visual recall. So they're they're accessing memories. If it goes to the other side, it's visual construct. That's imagination, often um, misused by police forces who think people are constructing alibis if they spend a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's not an exact science. It's just a, a good way of uh, understanding a preference. So uh, if they if they stay dead even but go to the left, uh, sorry, go to the right as facing, that's auditory recall. So remembering what somebody said. Uh, to the left, it's auditory construct, imagining what somebody might say. Um, if it if it goes to the bottom right hand side, that's internal dialogue. That's probably somebody very strong logical thinker who's actually asking themselves the question and pr- and trying to figure out what their answer is. If it's the opposite side, bottom left, that's kinesthetic, touch, taste, smell, etc. So there's somebody very connected to their feelings, and typically somebody who's a strong kinesthetic thinker will be uh, slower in their communication because uh, they're feeling it. Uh. Uh, so, so that's that's one example. Um, but do you know the really simple way of understanding uh, somebody's preference with all of these things is to listen. <laughs> Honestly, it's not more complex than that. Asking really good questions and listening. You see, um, on top of communication and representational systems, the thing which I really go off about is context. Everybody has a context. Everybody has uh, a set of circumstances that are really unique to them. And the only way we get to understand people's communication preferences, personality types, and their context is to ask them really good questions. They did um, a a study where they took a chap who was flying transatlantically from New York to the UK. And uh, this could be just an urban myth, by the way, but I've been telling Mm -hmm. the story because I heard it years ago and thought it was I thought it was cool. But this person was flying transatlantically from New York to the UK, seven hours on the flight, and they gave him the task that you've got to keep the guy next to you talking for the whole seven hours without oh re- <laughs> without revealing a single piece of information about yourself. Wow. So when they landed, they interviewed the guy, the other passenger, and they said, how was your flight? It was amazing. It was really good. <laughs> what about the guy you were sat talking to? Oh, what a fella. Really cool guy. What was his name? Couldn't tell you. Didn't have a Scooby-Doo. Hadn't given them any information at all. He'd just shown such, such genuine interest that this person had been made to feel like a million dollars. So um, you have two byproducts of asking good questions and being interested in people. One is you get to learn their personality preferences, representational systems, um, and uh, context. The second is they really like you because you've shown interest in them. They feel special. And so it has it's a double edged sword. It works really, really well. You know, in a networking context, I meet people who are nervous about networking all the time. And, you know, networking can be daunting and there's no two ways around it. 
But actually, if you just get good at asking people questions and showing genuine interest in people, and it's no different from dating, Chris, is it? You know, mm-hmm. if I if, if I knew these tools when I was um, 16, 17 years old. You'd have a much different um, teenage, teenage yeah, years. Just show interest in people. You know, yeah. make them feel special by showing genuine interest. It's the key to all things. I think you know, you're, the, you're very right. Everyone, everyone knows everyone's got that friend who just won't shut up about what they've got going on. And no one really wants to be around them or they tolerate them to varying degrees. But yeah, when I think about the people who I have the most connection with, it's the ones who ask questions, who ask me how I'm doing or how my day's gone or follow up something. They don't just ask a question to be polite. They take a genuine interest and then they ask again and then they ask again. Yes, well, I'll quote Buddha. If your mouth is open, you're not learning. Very fair point. Very fair point. So we've had a look at how we can interpret what uh, category someone else um, would fall into so that they can, you can gear your use of language towards that. What are the things that you can do yourself after asking questions in terms of body language, in terms of dress, in terms of eye, uh, eye contact, word usage what are the things that you can do to give the the best impression of yourself face to face so um so we we talk talk about getting into rapport with somebody and there's um there's a, a number of different ways of getting into rapport um, but let's start with the physiology so rapport is that kind of act, that that time of connection with somebody where you know you're starting to build trust um so from a physiology point of view uh, simple things like um Blinking and breathing at the same pace on a subconscious level. Is, you know, that, easy people, to, is that easy to do? Um, well, do you know the the key with all of these things is if you if you force it uh, and you're obvious with it, it feels like manipulation and it will have the opposite effect. It will it will turn somebody off. Yeah, breaks, but that, if, breaks down the fourth wall. Yeah, but if you if you if you come in um, to a, a situation with somebody and you genuinely just want to try and be synchronized, um, that's that's. That's a different thing altogether. In fact, the biggest way of, you know, I'm going to tell you a few things about rapport now, but actually the biggest way of, of um, building rapport with somebody is when you're asking all of those great questions we just talked about, genuinely listen to their answer. You know, if you're really listening to somebody, you'll naturally fall into rapport with them anyway. Um, in fact, I was at um, uh, an exhibition in London called The Best You. Big shout out to Bernardo Moyer, who who mm-hmm. runs that event in London every, every year. Um, and I was talking, I had a, I was speaking there, but I had a stand as well. So I was on the stand talking to people. I was talking to this woman who's really, really skeptical uh, about anything to do with things like rapport. And after about 10 minutes, she had kind of relaxed. She was showing more interest. And I just highlighted to her that um, we were stood in exactly the same pose, which was my hand was on my midsection, kind of holding the buckle of my belt. Mm. And she she'd come into that same pose. And she said, well, you've just put your hands there. I've been stood this way. <laughs> she was real sceptical. Mm-hmm. I said, actually, I've been stood like this for an hour. My belt broke an hour ago. <laughs> I've, been holding, <laughs> I've been holding my trousers up. Um, you've, you've fallen into rapport with me. And, you know, it, it does happen. It's because on a subconscious level, we do actually want to connect with other people. So the the whole blinking and breathing thing is, uh, is a, a, a nice, gentle way of doing it. Um, the expressions on our faces, you know, um, uh, 
being in control of our own expressions, having a smile on our face, you know, all of all of the, all of those things is is easy to do, yet people don't do it. Um, but it's got to be an authentic smile as well. And so, two quick things on this: I was once in an audience, uh, speaking to an audience, and a guy in the audience had this grimace on his face the whole way through my talk. And as a speaker, I'm, I try and make eye contact with everybody, yeah. and uh, I immediately thought, God, this guy hates what I'm saying. <laughs> And at the end of the talk, you know, his facial expression hadn't changed. At the end of the talk, he came up to me and he said, that was one of the best presentations I've ever heard. <laughs> I thought, you have forgotten to tell your face, my friend. Um, uh, he, com- com- he utterly confused me with that response. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're in control of our expressions. So if you want to make friends with people and build rapport, then, of course, you know, just relax into it. Um, one of the people who didn't do this authentically, though, was um, – previous uh, PM Gordon Brown. So Gordon Brown, at one of the elections, uh, was basically advised by somebody within his team to go and practice his smile. And before the cameras were turned up at one of the BBC election debates in Bristol, he stood at the lectern for about 15 minutes practicing his smile, which just didn't look natural at all. So this is where you've got to get the balance right with who you authentically are. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on, then you've got things like uh, the nonverbal, our gestures. Um, so, you know, our reptilian brains, if you've approached somebody with your hands behind your back, their immediate subconscious thought is, what are you hiding? What weapon are you going to pull out and, and cock me over the head yeah. with? Exactly. So open body language, um, positive body language, you know, um, uh, but then being mindful about what different gestures mean, mean in different countries. A, a quick funny, a friend of mine, Steve Clark, uh, was speaking in Tehran. And in Tehran, it said one of the things Steve's puts his thumbs up all the time. You know, he's is that all right? Yeah, yeah. As a speaker, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd made a point and then put his thumbs up. Now in in Iran, if you put your your thumb up at somebody, you're flipping the bird. You're doing the equivalent. <laughs> of the bird. So you had 400 people just in just turn that to an entire auditorium. <laughs> well, 400 people in an audience uh, who had just flipped. Um, you know, consistently carried on doing it and their whole <laughs> facial expressions changed. And he was saved by his translator who said, he doesn't know what he's just done in their ears. <laughs> and then they started laughing and it was rescued. But, you know, just be mindful, but open body language, show your hands. And I'm often asked, actually, in an age of um, video conference calls and Skype calls where people aren't traveling as much, but still wanting to connect, mm. how can you do the same thing? Uh, so, you know, the same thing um, applies if you're going to take the eye where I talk about image um, in the book. It's not just about brand. It's not just about profiles and pictures or the way that you're dressed. It's also the way you set the room you're speaking in. What's the impression? The reason I asked you for this particular thing, is it an audio or is it a video? Because if it was video, I'd have done it somewhere else, <laughs> um, you know, because I'd have been mindful of the scene that we, we, we set as well. Um, so again, the thing about a, a, a a Skype call is you can still show your hands. You can still make eye contact by looking directly into the camera. The moment you start getting distracted and reading emails and not giving your attention to the person you're talking to, then uh, you know you're you're going to lose some of that ability to influence. It's interesting that the the principles of face to face communication occur <clears throat> even when the other face is coming through a screen. Absolutely, absolutely. So I always minimise the picture of the other person and put it right up by the camera. So a, I'm I'm watching their face, but a, a, you know my eyes are looking into their eyes. Um, that's a so, really good. That's a really good little tip, isn't it? Again, I think it's important. You know, we've got we've got to if we're going to use adapt the way that we we behave and communicate to technology, then we still have to use it and apply the old principles. That's the point point of the book, really. 
Um, so the nonverbal includes posture. You'll have heard people doing power poses and closed body language, arms cl- folded, etc. You know, uh, but don't read too much into these things all the time. You know, unlike you, Chris, I've seen I've seen your pictures. I know you are uh, mind, body, soul, fitness fanatic. <laughs> I, I, I'm a I'm a overweight mid forties guy. So sometimes good on I'm, Xbox though. <laughs> good on Xbox, but sometimes <laughs> I fold my arms because it's comfortable. I've got a little belly I can rest my arms on. You know, so it's it's different horses for different courses. Um, you may have even seen recently where uh, a load of the Tory MPs have been stood in power poses with their leg, legs far too far apart. They look like aging <laughs> power rangers. No, you know, <laughs> I haven't seen this. Uh, so, you know, again, to be avoided. And, you know, eye contact, common sense, little uh, and often. Um, you know, if you intensely stare into somebody's eyes constantly, you're going to freak them out. So use it when you're being sincere. In fact, for me, when I'm talking to somebody, I look into their eyes. When I'm listening to somebody, I watch their mouth. Um, is that, so, a, good, is that a, a fairly good rule of thumb to, to just, use? It's just the way I do it, uh, and it, and by uh, you know I I know that if there's certainly if there's background noise and things if I'm reading some watching somebody's mouth I'm really taking in what they're saying I'm concentrated on the words um, and I'm and I'm receiving the words in more than one way but if I'm talking to them I'm looking into their eyes and 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 showing I'm not hiding behind anything the moment you start looking away when you're actually talking um, you know that that could uh, breed um, a lack of trust. I do find it sometimes very difficult. I work, I work quite hard on, um, on maintaining eye contact, uh, especially having read, having read the book, but the, uh, hitting that Goldilocks zone of not too much to look like you want to fight, but enough to show that you're engaged. Uh, it, 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 there's still a question mark, I guess, that hangs over, uh, with regards to that sometimes. Well, well, well the, the easy thing is, um, you know, if you're in control of all the other assets you have, i.e. you're smiling um very rare do people look for a fight with a smile on the face True. you know um so it's it's just combining combining the lot but you know and enough for them to know that you're actually uh involved in that conversation with them and not distracted about what's going on over their shoulders is, is the thing uh, and then you know uh, from non-verbal i'd come on to voice so with with voice is a whole load of things that we can do our, our pacing our volume the language that we use the tone that we use the different intonations that we use so um you know if i'm if i go and meet somebody for example particularly for the first time and they're all frantic and stressed i might match that intensity initially but then i'll slow myself down and slow them down with me so by the time we finish they're nice and relaxed and we're in rapport and we're having a a conversation and everybody's been calmed down but if i go in and start trying to be too calm initially I might not get into rapport with them as quickly because I'm, you know, subconsciously I'm not just like them. Equally, if I'm stressed and manic because I'm late for a meeting and I come in and somebody's all calm and calm and relaxed, you know, the the first thing I'm doing is giving myself a sanity check and <laughs> by taking a taking a breath and slowing down my communication. Yeah. Um, so that you know, little things like that are nice and easy. And language is easy. You know, language is around um, the words that we use. Compliments are free. But just make them genuine, because if you just start saying nice things for the sake of it, it comes across as insincere. So, you know, if you're in a job that's in somebody's you you find yourself in people's homes or if you go into somebody's office and they've got a picture of their their family, um, ask questions. But say, oh, that's a lovely family you got there. Or, this is a lovely home you have. Or whatever the compliment is, just mean it. Mm. So little things like that help. Um, but. Language can get more complex. Um, so with NLP, uh, language patterns are, imp- are an important part of it, and embedded commands are an important part of that. 
a very skilled politician who used to do that, in my opinion, was Tony Blair. Um, regardless of whether we agree with his politics, he was very skilled at using language. He would he would say something like, um, you, like me, believe it's important for us to have a robust economy. Well, the embedded command there is you like me. <laughs> you know, whatever he said, whatever he said beyond that, he was basically saying, you, like me, believe. Um, and the you like me is, was a, with enough pause and f- for the command to actually sink in on a subconscious I'd never, level. I'd never even noticed that, but I can, I can literally picture that. Um, I can picture him saying that and pointing at the screen. He was, he was clearly trained in things like NLP. Uh, his the way his body language, the way he he sometimes you could see through it, but actually most of the time he did it very naturally. Um, so he's clearly been trained, or he was just a very natural at it. But remember, you know, NLP in itself, its origins come from modelling the behaviour of people who are good at what they well, what they do. Yeah, it's it's trying to it's trying to recreate someone who naturally has that good rapport building, I suppose. Are there any other NLP um, tricks or or um, solutions that people can implement obviously hopefully not ones that are going to uh be too conceited or or spurious but yeah ones that uh that people could use to to assist them when they're trying to build rapport um so uh well think about what we've covered so far so we've, we've covered rapport from a physiology point of view from a non-verbal point of view and from a voice point of view one of one of the things which i think uh people should in fact, we've already said it today. I'm going to repeat it because I think it's important. It's around connection on a human level. So demonstrating your values. There's a reason why, you know, with my acronym in the book, the why is around you and it's around values and the character traits that you display. Um, I believe it's important to wear those values on your sleeve. I used to have a business card, actually. On the back of the business card, it had all the words that defined me. So, you know, West Ham United, skiing, mm-hmm. um, family, um, you know, kids, father, guitar, whatever. The, the words which, uh, which, which floated my boat. And what would happen is people typically, if you exchange a business card in a, a meeting or a networking event, they'll turn the card over. And immediately the conversation will be people orientated on one of those subjects. Uh, rather than actually just trying to be formal and businesslike. Mm. And it made the rest of the meetings so much easier because we got to relate on a human level rather than actually trying to talk business straight away. I understand. Um, so that whole connection thing with, with other people uh, can come from a number of different ways. It can come because you've shown interest. It can come because you've been able to wear uh, your heart on your sleeve, your values on your sleeve. I'll give you an example of this, actually. I was coming, this is a few years back, but when my kids were younger, uh, we were coming back from Euro Disney on the train. And um, my wife's an introvert, so she just wanted to put her head into a book and read and relax and, re, you know, re-energize by having her alone time, which is how introverts re-energize. And extroverts like me, we, we re-energize by throwing ourselves into groups of people, you know. So in this particular case, she wanted to read a book. I was entertaining the kids. And um, before you knew it, I started to attract other people's children. I know that sounds wrong, but you know, from, from the point of view, card games, drawing, you know, entertainment, whatever. So I suddenly had a little audience and I looked after these, these kids on the way um, coming into London. And about 20 minutes outside of a London train station, um, one of the other dads said, I'm intrigued. What is it you do? And we had a conversation which resulted in business a couple of weeks later. No way. Um, he saw my values. He could see how I was coming across. He could see what I was like with my own children. He could see I was generous enough to give time and attention to other people's kids. You know, the values were plain and simple and clear. And, uh, 
you know, that uh, that just made the rest of the conversation nice and easy. And, you know, when I, when we talk about things like serendipity not being a strategy, serendipity is effective if if it's still not a strategy, but it's still effective if you if you can make the most of opportunities because you come across in the right way. And and, and actually, if you've got things front of mind, one of my favorite um, uh, sayings is opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I which I think is about uh, translated is just about having your wants, needs, desires front of mind. If you remind yourself on a regular basis what you're looking for, you're more likely to spot it. Is it look equals preparedness plus opportunity? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yes, is it really serendipity? Yeah. But then you know the, the very last thing which I'll give you um, just uh, just on um, this this influencing face to face is is rather than approaching conversations in the uh, transactional way you know you tell me something i'm going to tell you something you tell me something i'm going to tell you something and it's going to serve a purpose it becomes like a game of tennis right absolutely S- start telling stories i believe one of the the core competencies of big brands small brands personal brands alike for the next decade or so is going to be your ability to tell your stories which demonstrate your values which connect on a human level so get great at storytelling. I'll tell, not- tell you what a really good example of that is how successful John Lewis have been with their Christmas commercials. Amazingly so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're draw- drawing people in on a, on a subject rather than just saying, you know, this is what we've got on the shelves and this is the price we're selling at. It's about storytelling. It's no different in face-to-face conversations. Um, and if you think about this conversation we've had so far, we've told stories of Tony Blair, Gordon Brown. We've told stories of Euro Disney. We've told stories of Jack Black, um, yeah. Judy Nail. You know, we've uh, we've told stories of business cards of people with different psychometric profiles of millennials. You know, it's all it's all about storytelling. I understand completely. So I think we've got a good a good understanding of what people can do face to face. There, what are the other principles of influence? that you think that we haven't covered so far, which are pertinent for people to understand? So in the book, I, I break everything down into an acronym called PICI. Um, and that's mainly because it's it's in the rule book for speakers or writers that you've got to have an acronym. Yeah, you're not, you're not allowed to do it otherwise. Um, so I'll just quickly run through the acronym and it'll just give an idea of the bigger picture. So P is around people. And so this we, we've touched on it with how we connect with influencers. But um, it's not necessarily just influencers that bring us opportunities, knowledge, wisdom, critical feedback, etc. It's our it's our networks, and uh, you know I'd encourage anybody who is listening to this to start taking their networking a little bit more seriously. That doesn't necessarily mean going to breakfast networking events. It means just being a, a bit more uh, focused on on building your your. Uh, sphere of influence the relationships that you have the people that you would know and who would know you um what is it that you say in the book it's it's not who you know or what you know it's who knows it's also who knows you 100 percent um so i take this quite seriously i I run a a skiing trip every year called net ski in fact we're about 13 years old now so we take a bunch of business people uh, i think the biggest group we've done was nearly 70 a bunch of business people to a resort um, typically in in Europe. Um, And uh, of course they're bonding over a shared experience. They're not, you know, they're not, not sales pitching to each other. Um, Nobody's immediately bringing business cards to dinner on an evening. You know, they're having a glass of wine, 
working hard in the day, laughing at the at the uh, the mistakes, mm. high fiving over the triumphs, and it's a shared experience. They're connecting on a human level, and let me tell you, more business gets done on that trip and afterwards than any other networking event I've ever seen. Yeah, I bet it does. I think going just briefly jumping back to what you'd said previously about the storytelling, that it's strange, isn't it, that really effective uh, outcomes from a commercial perspective, in quotation marks, are elicited by not focusing on that at all, by focusing on the values and focusing on the story. And yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely can see some parallels in my business life with that. And, and I would say, I don't, I don't know where your audience is uh, geographically, but if if you've just heard that and thought, hey, I want to be a part of it, I'm going to shamelessly plug. It's net-ski.co.uk. Um, When's the next do, one? Well, we've got two trips next year. We're doing Team in January and we're doing Aspen in March. Um, so we, we have uh, – uh, there's, there's not many places left for Team, but we do have the option of taking the, the um, chalet next door. Uh, but it's my point is it's a really good trip because people you know all of that travel time all of that time on chairlifts all of the sneaky beers or or um or van show you have uh, you know in between runs you know yeah, it's yeah. those experiences that is that's the bits where people bond and then take that to another level I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, masterminding are you part of a mastermind chris no have you heard of it as a concept uh i would like it elaborated i have but i wouldn't be able to recite it to you Okay, so I first was ent- uh, introduced to masterminds when I was uh, probably about 18, 19 years old. And I was, it, was Christmas, it was Christmas Eve. I was in a pub in Wiltshire, um, and I was just stood with one of my best mates and his dad. And his dad's a you know, millionaire business owner. And um, you know, we were doing all of our kind of young spouting, spouting shit, as young people do, <laughs> uh, as, as I did anyway. Um, and... He said, well, if you're really ambitious, Warren, he said, you'll, um, you know, it's a book I recommend. And it was um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he said, uh, I could lend you my copy, but if you're hungry enough, you'll go and buy your own. And uh, of course, you know, uh, wanting to be seen as hungry, I had, I think I had it by Boxing Day. Um, but there was a chapter in there around masterminding, which I thought, oh, this is really, uh, really uh, powerful, impressive. And it's the simple concept of bringing some really good people together uh, on a fairly regular basis that could be monthly or every two months and actually being that kind of sounding board for each other, being the, you know, like the board of directors for each other. Uh, So, um, you know, it's the, if you've got an idea where you're incubator, if you've got an issue, you're dealing with a colleague at work, a fellow director, a member of staff, whatever, or even, even at home, they're your critical feedback. They listen and, and you know will come in with a different perspective. Okay. Um, if you're create, creating commercial opportunities, they may be JV partners potentially, um, or they may have the context to make it happen. But it's that sitting down for a period of time with a bunch of people you respect and value their opinion and being open and honest enough and vulnerable enough to share. And there's two rules to it. One is... Um, Chatham House rules. So whatever's said in that environment stays in that environment. You don't go talking behind each other's back. Trust is absolutely important for it to work. Mm-hmm. But the second thing that really happens is accountability. So if you're with a bunch of people and you you say, right, I'm going to go and do this by next month, you don't want to turn up next month having not done it. So that accountability means that you get things done. Mm-hmm. Now there are organisations out there you can go and spend lots of money on net on masterminding. You know. Um, 
Uh, Vistage is one of the bigger ones. Um, there's the Academy Chief Execs and loads of others. But, you know, it can cost anything up to a £1,000 a month to be part part of these groups. And I have paid that much um, in the past. Um, but actually, you can equally go and invite a bunch of people you like to the pub once a month and just have dinner together and have that same conversation. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to cost. I've, I've currently got a, a, a really nice mastermind group. It's, uh, we've, we've kept it to five for now. Um, but uh, for me, it's an essential part of running a business or building a personal brand. You know, collaborations and all, all sorts of things come out of it. But it's a group of people that you really trust to get dynamite advice. So that's taking networking to a to a bigger level is you know don't just see it as a, a kind of transactional business breakfast type thing see it about building the the human relationships but then if you can find that kind of core group of people that you really value the opinion of start start meeting them on a more intimate setting and bring your issues to the table yeah when you find when you find someone who can add a little a little bit of value don't don't let them go absolutely get get a, get a hold of them and try and trying to meet them as regularly as possible so we've got p people what's i p- for people, I is around image. So we've touched on it before, but it's um, you know the way we present ourselves. Uh, it's the way uh, the the clothes we wear. It's the it's the uh, the way that we dress our profile pages on social media. You know, it astounds me that I still see people who've got profile pictures from 20, 30 years ago and they've lost all their hair since then, or, <laughs> or whatever whatever the thing is. You know, again, it's got to be authentic. If I turn up on a um, my wife won't let me go on dating sites, but um, if I was to turn up on a dating site and somebody turns up and their picture's 20 years out of out of date, what does that tell me from a trust point of view? Yeah. You know, it means that they, they hide, you know, and the same is true in business. You know, um, if you if you uh, if if you try and portray an image that's not you, um, it, it actually immediately makes people more skeptical of you anyway. So Im- image is about all of those things. It's consideration to the language that we use, the, the words that we use on our copy on our websites, on our business cards, on our sales literature, on our email marketing, our newsletters, et cetera. Image is around the, the kind of values that we want to portray. Um, communication is the C, and that's around how we you know, how we have conversations, again, both, uh, both written and, and our language face-to-face. Um, and for me, a big key part of that is being consistent. You know, I see people on social media, for example, safely behind a monitor and a keyboard in another county, hmm. say things that they wouldn't dream of saying if they were staring into the whites of somebody's eyes. Agreed. Um, and again, I think it's really important to to be consistent and just have that filter that says, would I say this if I was staring <laughs> into their eyes right now? If I wouldn't, then don't write it. You know, little things like that. That's a lovely, a lovely rule of thumb that I wish most of the internet would listen to. <laughs> Unfortunately, they won't make me god of the internet, so I can't do anything we about it. We can only that. hope, Warren. <laughs> god help the world. Yeah. Um, K is around knowledge, and that's a simple thing around demonstrating expertise. Um, you know, so if we were if we were uh, looking to breed trust with somebody, we want to they they want to know that we know what we're talking about. So how do we demonstrate our, our expertise? How do we how do we share our knowledge? How do we leverage all of those um, all of the principles that we've talked about today um, and Again, there's multiple channels open to us, but I really encourage people to get out of their comfort zones and stand up and public speak. Uh, if if it's if it's in you, if you think it's possibly in you, if, you know, standing up and actually speaking to your peers is one of the most powerful ways to breed authority. And then, and then lastly, we've touched on it already is the why, which is around the values that we 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 hold. And in the book, I explore a load of values which um which I I identified in the people that have influenced me um 
And again, just in the in in, in the interest of modeling, uh, having identified them, I, I gave them great thought and thought, you know, how can I start to adopt these values? Um, how can I how can I certainly demonstrate those values? Um, so really simple. You know, if, if you break down everything that we've said, there's nothing that isn't common sense in there. Um, but unfortunately, common sense isn't common practice. No, it's not. It's um, I don't know why. I don't know why people get flustered, I guess I want to say, especially face to face, but also online. People have a tendency to not put themselves across in the best way and the remembered self from the situation that, oh, I could have said that. Oh, I should have said this. It's it's not due to a lack of cognitive ability. It's not that they're not quick enough face to face or online to be able to get this information out. There just seems to be, is it nervousness? Is it, um, is it a lack of experience or a lack of um, preparedness to be truthful or vulnerable online? I, I'm not really too sure. I don't know if, if you have a common stumbling blocks that people have that are, that are fundamental to them not eliciting the best influence that they can. Well, I think you, you, you hit on a couple there. Um, certainly they get in their own way. Uh, is is what I would I would say if you've come into a room and your mind you know for example a networking room and uh, your mind's on other things you know the three jobs that you should have done on your to do list that didn't get done the the fact you've you know uh, you don't feel a million dollars you haven't a chance to do your makeup or you know maybe you're not wearing what you wanted to wear but you're nervous about how you're going to come across because of the baggage you carry around about how people portray you. If you come in with all of that baggage, uh, well, any of it, you're not making your best first impression. You really have to leave the world at the door in when in any kind of relationship, leave the world at the door and, and just focus on the conversation from conversations come opportunities. It's a lovely way to put it. So I think we've got through a really nice model of how people can improve their ability to influence, going from understanding their why, understanding their audience, understanding the mediums and the medias that they can contact them through, the credibility through association, the face-to-face, the online approaches that people can use. And you've given us some really lovely examples. Are there any other points that you think people need to hear before we round this conversation off? So uh, there's only a couple of um, uh, maybe uh, quotes which will just provoke a bit of thought. And this because, you know, ultimately, actually, you've you've summarized building personal brand, etc. Actually, I think the kind of key messages, if I was to summarize the conversation we've just had, Chris, is first of all, we we discussed the world is changing. So become that student of change. Um, Second of all, we talked about becoming a student of people. So that's understanding them, um, understand their context, their their communication preferences, their personality traits. Be that student of people, and that includes being a student of yourself. Uh, We talked about listening as one of the most effective tools when it comes to influencing because it gives you context, but it also makes you liked. Um, Then connecting on a human level, it's not all about business. You know, give a bit of yourself. That's what people, hearts and minds are are what people connect to. Demonstrate your values, tell your stories. I think that's... uh, I think that's uh, enough for anybody listening to this to be able to do something meaningful. If you with. stick to those, you won't go too far wrong, right? <laughs> I can't. I can't see how you can. Um, uh, but you know, all of this, as I say, there's a number of quotes. But um, 
the key to successful leadership today is influence, not authorities. Ken, Ken Blanchard, that's one that's on my website. Um, your circle of influence dictates your path. Uh, example is not the main thing when it comes to influencing others. It's the only thing. You know, all of these, uh, all of these are um, th- hopefully things that anybody listening to this will just understand that uh, whatever their objectives in life, uh, a happier marriage, a better relationship with their kids, stronger friendships, uh, more cordial working environments with colleagues, more clients when it comes to sales and marketing. It's all about influencing. And the better they are at these things, the more effective they'll be in all of those areas of their life. We are hugely empathetic creatures. You know, they've even done research where they've had people, um, uh, two people in fMRI scans, one listening, one talking, they couldn't see each other. You know, and in an instant, their brain waves start to synchronize, um, you know, to the point where it's almost predictive from the listener. That's how empathetic we are. We want to connect with others. So just use that. Use all of those things um, to build connection and be human. Remember what I said earlier on in an age of uh, AI and automation and robotization, it's important to stay human. Fantastic. I've absolutely loved today, Warren. I'm glad it's been a it's been a long time coming for me to get you on. I'm really, really glad that I have done. So obviously the link to influence the book will be in the show notes. Are there, You're a superstar. Are there any other resources, either yours or anyone else's, books or online blogs or um where do you go or where would you advise people who want to further their knowledge into this field? Where where should they look? Well, of course, the Modern Wisdom podcast is a good starting point for anybody listening. And uh, and like everything else, it's important to share it so you get the audience you deserve. So, Agreed. Um, the same is true for the book. If you like the book, if anybody reads it and likes it, give us a shout out. I'd love to hear what what nuggets you took from it on social media. In fact, that's how we connected, Chris. Exactly. It's it's lovely when it happens. So if people do read it, on, on my website, there's a, a strategy guide, which is basically a, a PDF. You see at the end of every chapter in the book, I ask a couple of questions um, to help people contextualize what I've just said and relate it to their own circumstances. Well, yep, on the, I've, filled, on the web- I've filled mine in. Mine is yeah, uh... superb. Superb. Well, do you, do you know why that's music to my ears? Because, you know, what I said to you earlier on um, about ego versus uh, affecting change or inspiring change in others, uh, when people actually write something down, that builds intention. Um, it means that they're going to go and implement something. If they implement something, they're only going to have some sort of positive effect that comes off the back of it. So I love the messages I get on social media from people that say, right, this particular point has resulted in this or you know improve relationship here couldn't agree more i've just uh i've just finished a podcast with dr uh ewan lawson and during that we discussed gratitude journaling and exactly the same thing there it's writing down an intention it's one of the reasons that i love the podcasting platform because it forces me under duress of a very very skeptical audience sometimes to crystallize my thoughts into a way that has to be both truthful and make sense. A lot of the time when it's just thoughts floating around in your mind, they're these unhewn sort of globules of, of idea. And then as soon as you have to verbalize it or write it down, it, it, it takes form uh, in a very, very different way. And I think that you can start to, you can start to be very rigorous assessing your own stance on things that you might have previously taken um 
for granted or not really understood. And then when you, when you do get to writing things down, so I, I couldn't agree more. So we've got influence. We've got the partner, um, uh, worksheet that you can download on your website, which will also be in the show notes. Is there anything else that people should be reading? So uh, in terms of other books, is there, there's yep. a load out there. Um, I'm a fan of Daniel Priestley. Um, go and have a look at some of his work. Um, Entre- Entrepreneur Revolution um, is a good one. Um, uh, have a look at Cialdini's follow-up book to um, uh, to Psychology of Persuasion, uh, which is called Persuasion. Persuasion def- seems to yeah. be pretty heavily touted at the moment. It's one that I haven't read, but it's uh, if you if you'd given it your, I'd said to myself if you gave it your seal of appro- <clears throat> approval during this podcast that i would go and get it so i think that's just uh locked in my next audible credit usage i think oh there you go no well, <laughs> that's that's a good use for it um as chaldean is com- comes from a very strong academic background um with his with his work but uh but no it's a good book um and a lot of the books that i've really valued over the years um aren't, aren't necessarily sort of mainstream now I, I i loved one called richest man in babylon which is uh which is uh, which is a story around uh, actually what what building a business or what building wealth um, actually actually looks like, uh, but it's told in an old tongue kind of story. Very good. Um, you know, bearing in mind the biggest thing that we talked about today was um, at the beginning was around change. Go and go and read um, Who Moved My Cheese. You know, a simple book that can be read in an hour, uh, but just tells the tells the story of um, a, a mice and men and illustrates why it's actually important to be constantly moving and and not wedded to your current situation, your current circumstances, everything's changing around you, you need to change with it. So there, there are a couple of books I absolutely recommend. Fantastic. Uh, Warren, where can the listeners find you online? At Warren Cass or warrencass.com. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm very, very glad that we got to delve into the world of influence. Um, the, the book is currently about two... About a quarter of the way through, I think my third read through now, and it's um, it's definitely such an applicable subject field that, as you say, it, the um, applications of it go from professional to personal to absolutely everything. And I I think that being a student of people, as you've said, is um, is something that we all probably can endeavour to to try and do a little bit more and we'll reap some benefits from as we do. I'm thrilled you've got so much from it, Chris, and I really appreciate the invitation to come and speak on the podcast. And I look forward to the, certainly look forward to the up and coming episode of the Gratitude Journal. That sounds sounds fascinating. Thank you very much. Warren, thank you for your time. Take care, buddy. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye.